Well, you never know uh, quite what to say after something like this. Not all we can say is thank you so uh, very, very much. Uh, we love you with all of our heart. want to say thank you to our board who uh, makes this happen. I found that people in the church want to do something, but they need someone to lead them into it, and it's the board that does that, and we are so blessed to have such an incredible board to lead you into this. Also, want to let you know that we understand that I'm not the only pastor at this church. We have a lot on staff here at this church. I am the lead pastor. I do want you to know that uh, all the staff pastors, they all get their pastor appreciation as well. It comes on their birthday. On their birthday, they receive a check, an extra check from the church as a, a pastor appreciation. They don't get an offering. That uh, amount does not equal mine. But uh, they don't have that position either, so when they get the position, they'll get the offering, all right? But I do want you to know that uh, we understand that it's a team effort, and we love not only our deacons, but we love our staff and their families, and understand that they're an incredible blessing to New Bethel as well, and they are honored on their birthdays for pastor appreciation. That being said, grab your Bible or whatever that you have this morning, your Uh, that you want to look it up on this morning and let's honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Let's stand and honor God's word today. We're looking in the book of Hebrews chapter number 13. The book of Hebrews chapter number 13. I'm going to read verse 17. Going to read from the uh, New Living Translation this morning. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. Pastor, what is your job description? What is it that you're supposed to do? Well, according to the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, my job is to watch over your soul. So obey your spiritual leader and do what he says. Their work is to watch over your soul. And notice, and they are accountable to God. Some of you think that I'm accountable to you, or I'm accountable to the board, or I'm accountable to the the membership. No, I'm not accountable to you nor to the board. I am accountable to God. Their work is to watch over your soul, and they are accountable to God. I like this last part. It says, give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. See, I've got a job to do and I'm going to do my job. I have a responsibility and I'm going to fulfill my responsibility. But the writer of Hebrews says, give me reason to do it with joy and not with sorrow. And he says that if I do it with sorrow, he said that would certainly not be for your benefit. How many understand it's for your benefit that you have a happy pastor? It's for your benefit that you have a healthy pastor. Physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, spiritually. It's to your benefit that your pastor is healthy. And let me tell you that it is to your benefit that your pastor is appreciated. Because if he feels appreciated, then he is going to do a better job. So it is for your Benefit. All of that being said, the title of my message today is How to Drive Your Pastor Crazy. Now, a couple of you don't need this sermon. You're already doing it. Now, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding today. Father, thank you for the incredible opportunity that we have. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity that I have today, Lord, to serve New Bethel Church as pastor. Thank you, dear God, that you aligned my situations and circumstances. God, you put particular people in my life that knew people that knew people. Lord, that when it was all said and done, we became pastors of this church. Lord, we know that you have led us, you've directed us, and you've guided us, and we thank you and we praise you for it. God, let your anointing rest upon the message, upon the messenger, Lord, today. All this that is said and done will be for your glory. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Well, you may be reseated this morning. Well, as you've already heard, the board has declared today to be Pastor Appreciation Day. That being said, I I thought it would be good to do a little teaching on how you ought to treat your pastor. Now, I know how some of you think. I've been around the block a few times. I know church people very, very well. And I know that some of you might be thinking right now, Pastor, Pastor, You're going to teach us how we ought to treat you? Shouldn't somebody else teach us how to treat you? 
Well, here's the way I see it. You may not see it this way, but here's the way that I see it. As a father, I I didn't bring in an outsider to teach and train my kids. And so why as a pastor should I bring in an outsider to teach you? Now, when you hear the following statistics, it will become evident that somebody needs to be teaching the church. Now, when I'm talking about the church, I'm not necessarily talking about New Bethel, though I'm including that, but I'm talking about the church in general. You see, statistics tell us that 8 out of 10 pastors will drop out of ministry somewhere along the way. Statistics tell us 8 out of every 10 pastors who begin in ministry will not finish in ministry. Statistics tell us over 50% of pastors surveyed said that pastoring had a negative effect on their family. Doesn't sound to me like pastoring is all about sleeping late and having fried chicken for breakfast. Several years ago, I read a humorous article entitled, How to Get Rid of Your Pastor. So if any of you here today want to get rid of me, just listen up. I'm going to tell you how to get rid of your pastor. If you want to get rid of your pastor, the first thing you might try, you might try saying amen while he preaches and maybe he'll preach himself to death. If that doesn't work, you might try giving him a raise in pay and perhaps he will eat himself to death. Well, if that doesn't work, you can, you can brag on him and, and he'll work so hard and he'll get so effective that his church will grow so large that a bigger church will hear how successful he is and they'll take him off your head. And if none of those things work, well, then some of you that have never given a dime to the church, some of you that have never volunteered to do anything in the church, if you will tell him that you're going to start tithing, tell him you're going to start working in the church, he'll drop dead of a heart attack right there on the spot. Let me suggest six things this morning you can do to stop. Say stop. Six things you can do to stop your pastor from going crazy. Six things that you can do that will guarantee that your pastor indeed will be a success. And if your pastor indeed is a success, then that means that the church will be a a success as well. Because how many understand that everything rises and falls on leadership? So, So goes the pastor, so goes the church. So if you want to stop your pastor from going crazy, here's six suggestions this morning. Number one. First thing you need to do is you need to acknowledge him as your God-called leader. Acknowledge him as your God-called leader. Help me understand that when God, when he wants something done, he calls a man or a woman. Read the Bible and you'll find that when God wanted to get something done, he called a man. When God wanted an ark in order to be built, in order to save the righteous from coming judgment, what did he do? He called a man, a man named Noah. The Bible says that when God wanted to deliver his people from the bondage and slavery of Egypt, that he called upon a man. He called a man named Moses. The Bible says that when God wanted to announce to the, to, to, to the world that Jesus was the Savior of the world, that God called a man, a man named John the Baptist, that cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, I believe that when God wants to accomplish His will on planet earth, I believe the Bible teaches that He does it through a man. He will find a man with a willing heart. He will find a man with a teachable spirit. He will find a man with a listening ear. Oh, God will find that man. He will call that man. He will speak to that man. He will direct that man. He will empower that man. And God will use that man. Now, in the book of the Revelation, there are seven different churches that are addressed. And to each and every one of these churches, they receive a different message. And yet there is one common denominator that runs through all seven of these churches. One thing that is the same throughout. All the messages are different, and yet they are all addressed to the same individual, the angel or leader, or many believe the pastor of that individual church. So I believe that when God wants to get a message to His church, He will speak through His God-called leader. 
So if you want to stop your pastor from going crazy, if you want to assure that he will be successful in the church, you need to acknowledge him as your God-appointed leader. And and listen to me. Let let me say this this morning. Your, Your pastor may or he may not be who you would pick. I was elected to this church nine and a half years ago by 80% of the voting members. That means 20% of the members did not vote. They said, no, we don't want this turkey from West Texas. And I want to tell you, I almost did not accept this because I'm not, you can just, whatever, but I always got elected 100%. Every other church elected me 100%. And when I heard 20% said no, which that's the average anyway, an average pastor gets voted in by 80%, so it was an average vote. But when when the presbyter called me and he said, well, you were elected, I said, that's good, what's the vote? He told me, I said, what's that percentage? He said, it's 80%. I said, I don't know if I want to come. He said, Benson, what do you mean you don't know whether you want to come? I said, I always get 100% of the vote. I've never had 20% of the, of the people vote no on me before. I don't, I'm not all excited about coming. And the president said, Benson, you don't understand what this church is going through. You don't understand where this church is. Man, for 80% to say, yes, that's an incredible vote. You get down here and pastor this church. And, and now that God has blessed this church incredibly, the presbyter likes to take credit for it. <laughs> He's always telling me, when somebody asks me how the church is, and I'll say, well, you know, we're averaging about 350 and this and that, and we're building a new building, blah, blah, blah. And he'll hear that, and he'll say, yeah, but he wouldn't even be there if it wasn't for me, because he wasn't coming. <laughs> so he likes to take credit for what's happening at New Bethel Church. Hey, your pastor may or may not be who you would pick, but he is who God picked. Samuel would certainly not have picked David to be king because David was too young and he was too inexperienced and he was too much of a pretty boy. That's the way the Bible described him. But David was God's choice. And a great choice he turned out to be. How about those 12 disciples? Oh, oh, not very many of them would have made the list of who's who. They certainly would not have been man's choice, but they were God's choice. So your pastor may or may not be who you would pick, but he is who God picked. So how do you stop your pastor from going crazy? Acknowledge him as your God-appointed leader. Second thing you can do that will stop your pastor from going crazy is... You can align yourself with his vision for the church. Align yourself with his vision for the church. You see, it's the pastor's job to discover the vision of the church. It's the pastor's job to pray and see God and hear the voice of God and take the church in the direction that it needs to go. It's the pastor's job to discover the vision of the church. It's the people's job to align themselves with that vision. Remember the story of the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2. and He was brought to the house where Jesus was ministering and he was brought there by four men that brought him there on a stretcher. There were two things that were needed in order for this situation to be successful. Two things that needed to take place in order for this situation to turn out right. The first thing was they needed a leader with a plan. A leader with a plan. Unless there was a leader with a plan, they would not be successful. But not only did they need a leader with a plan, the second thing they needed, they they needed followers to carry out the leader's plan. You see, it's not that the leader is more spiritual. It's not that, you know, he's right under the Trinity. It's not that that he's any better than anybody else. He just has a different position. Uh, God is just using him in a different role. I ask you, what would have happened if all four of these uh, men had insisted on being the leader? Man, if I can't be the leader, I'm not going to do anything. Well, the man would have stayed paralyzed. What would have happened if there weren't people that were willing to follow? You see, if you want to drive your pastor crazy, insist on being the leader. Oh, insist on having it your way. Insist on refusing to follow. Two men were riding a bicycle built for two. And they were riding along and doing really, really well until they came up to a hill. And here they are going up this very steep hill. 
And finally they make it up to the very top of the hill. And the man on the front of the bicycle built for two, he turns back to the man behind him and he goes, man, said I, I didn't think I was, we were going to make it up that hill. Man, I, I've never pedaled so hard. I've never used so much energy and so much effort in my entire life. I thought for a minute we weren't going to make it up here. The man on the back of the bike said, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. He said, you know, when we got about halfway up the hill, he said, I began to think and wonder what will happen if we start rolling backwards. And so so I put on the brakes. And he said, I had the brakes on halfway the rest of the way. How many know you're going to drive your pastor crazy? Amen. If you have the brakes on when he is yelling full steam ahead. Talk about how to drive your pastor crazy. If you want to drive your pastor crazy, if you don't want to, let's just go to number three. The third thing you need to do to stop your pastor from going crazy, you need to assist him in the fulfillment of his vision. Assist him in the fulfillment of his vision. You see, it's one thing to align yourself with his vision. It's something, it's something else to assist him in the fulfillment of the vision. See, it's nice that you don't hinder him in his vision. That's nice that you don't hinder him. Oh, it would be even nicer if you would help him. In Exodus chapter 17, the army of Israel is, is in a battle with the Amalekites. And Israel's army is losing the battle, but God gave Moses a plan. Remember what I said, when God wants something done, He he calls them in. And so here they are, the, 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 the armies of Israel are losing the battle, but God gives a plan to the men of God. And here was the plan. Moses, Moses, God's called leader, was supposed to climb to the mountain, and he was to stretch his rod or his shepherd, shepherd's staff out towards the battle. And so when Moses did what God told him, when Moses went to the top of the mountain, and when Moses took his rod or his shepherd's staff, and when he, when, when he, when he held it out towards the army, and towards the battle, the Israeli army immediately began to win. And as long as Moses' hands are raised, and as long as his, his staff, his rod is extended to the, is, to, to, towards the Israeli army, the Israeli army prevails. But as soon as Moses lets the rod down, the Amalekites start winning. Do you recognize the principle here? The principle is God blessed Israel through Moses. You see, so goes the leader, so goes the organization. God told Moses what to do, and as long as he was physically able to do it, all was well. The problem was that Moses got tired. After so long of holding the rod, after so long of, uh, of doing what the Lord told him, he got, he got weary and he got tired. And when Moses got tired, he had to let his hands hang down as well as the rod, and then the tide turned. The good news was, Moses had two men who went with him to the top of the mountain. Let me encourage you today, if you're on your way to the top of the mountain, make sure that you take somebody with you. See, somebody said it's lonely at the top. I say it's not lonely at the top if you bring somebody with you. The good news was Moses had two men who went with him to the top of the mountain. Two men who not only went with him, but two men who actually assisted him in the fulfillment of his vision. The Bible says these two men, their names were Aaron and Hur. And in case you don't know, Hur was him. The Bible said that Aaron got on one side of Moses and Hur got on the other side of Moses. And together they held up the hands of Moses. And they helped him carry out his God-called assignment. And because Moses had some men that not only aligned themselves with his vision, but they actually assisted him in the fulfillment of the vision. And because of this, Israel won the battle. My question this morning is, who will be an Aaron and who will be a Hur? Who will hold up the hands of the men of God? Who will hold up the hands of the men of God so that God can flow and God's blessing and God's goodness can flow in the house of the Lord? Let me suggest six things that Aaron and Hur did not do. We talk about what they did do, but I'm going to tell you what they didn't do. It's very important what they did not do. First of all, Aaron and her, they, they, they didn't refuse to follow the plan. 
They did not refuse to follow the plan. They didn't say, come on, Mo. Come on, Mo. Surely you can come up with a better plan than this. Hold up your rod. Is that the best you got? You're kidding, right? That's the plan? No, they didn't refuse to follow the plan. Number two, they didn't try and take over. I don't like his plan. Let's, wouldn't this be better? They didn't try and take over his plan. They didn't try and take his place. Move over, Mo. If you can't even hold up a rod. Number three, they didn't rush down the hill and vote in a new leader. Well, if you can't get the job done. They didn't run down, rush down the hill and, and, and vote in a new leader that might be younger, might be stronger, oh, might be cutting edge. Number four, they didn't criticize Moses for getting tired and allowing the rod to hang down. And it all depends upon you holding that rod up and you can't even do it, come on. No, they didn't. Didn't criticize him. Number five, they didn't forsake him when his vision didn't seem to be working. They didn't forsake him when the vision didn't seem to be working. Oh, it would work, and then it wouldn't work. And it would work, and then it wouldn't work. How many understand that the vision isn't always bigger and better? It isn't all, it doesn't always work all the time. How many know that the church will be up sometimes and down sometimes? There will be difficulties and problems. There will be tests and trials that, uh, along the way. But they didn't forsake Moses when his vision didn't seem to be working for a while. And then the sixth thing that they did not do, they didn't get into a fuss. They didn't get into a power struggle over which man would hold up his right hand and which would hold up his left. I can just see, I can just see Aaron. You can't put, you can't put her on your right side, anybody with a name her. Her has to be on the left. How often is there power struggles and fussing, jealousy? You gave who the, a position for what? I've been here a lot longer than they have. No, they didn't get into a fuss. They didn't get into a power struggle over which man would hold up his right hand, which would hold up his left. No, they assisted him in the fulfillment of his vision. They understood their role as well as the role that Moses had to play. They understood that Moses had a role, but they had a role to play as well. Again, it's not that Moses is any better than Aaron and her. It's simply the fact that God called Moses to be the leader and he called Aaron and her to be the helpers. How many know without good leadership and without good followers, nothing is going to take place? So we just need to understand our role. It's not that Pastor Benson is any more spiritual than anybody else. It's not that he's right under the Trinity, you know. It's not that he has, you know, just special in with God. Or No, no, no. It's all simply about the fact that's, that, that, that there's a position in the church called the lead role and the lead pastor. And that's who God has me here for this particular season in the, in the season of this church and in the season of my life. It's not that I'm any better than anybody else. It's just that we need to understand our role. And be confident in our role. Amen. If you want to drive your pastor crazy, tell him. We're behind you, pastor. But make him need binoculars in order to see how far you are behind him. Let me suggest something else you can do. If you want to stop, say stop. If you want to stop your pastor from going crazy, the fourth thing you can do is Assure him of your love and support regularly. Assure him of your love and your support on a regular basis. You see, too many church members are like the man that never told his wife he loved her. And one day she confronted him and she said, you never tell me that you love me. He said, 40 years ago when I proposed to you, I told you I love you. And he said, if I ever change my mind, you'll be the first to know. Hey, just as a wife needs assurance of her husband's love on a regular basis, so a pastor needs that assurance from his flock. Because, see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Negative people are vocal. Negative people are vocal. You always hear from them. 
So counteract the negative people by being positive. Here's what you need to do. You need to become a cheerleader for your pastor. When my kids were home and growing up, they were very, very active in school. They were very active in sports, and I was their number one fan. I I wasn't like a lot of parents. I I saw parents at baseball games and football games and cheerleading, all that stuff. I saw parents that actually sat in the car. Kids out there on the field, and they're afraid they're going to get a little cold or a little hot. They're sitting in the car. I didn't sit in the car. Some of them sat in the stands. I didn't sit in the stands. Man, when Chad was pitching, I positioned myself right behind the, right behind the backstop. There was the batter. There was the catcher. There was the umpire. And there was me. And when my son would throw the ball, and the umpire would say, ball for three, I would say, that was a strike! Get some glasses, ump! <laughs> and then I'd invite him to church. <laughs> when Chad was in soccer, when he was in soccer and he was playing games, I didn't sit in the car, I didn't sit in the stands, man. I got right down there on the sideline and I ran up and down to the sideline with Chad. Come on, Chad, kick that ball, boy. Come on, kick that ball. Come on, Chad, come on, man. Kick that ball, man. Kick it. Kick it, man. Come on, man. When the end of the season was over, when the season was over, I was in better shape than he was in. He didn't have to outrun the player. He had to outrun his daddy. But I want to tell you that when Dad was behind the backstop, yelling and encouraging him, Chad pitched better when I was there. Oh, he hit better when I was there. Krista performed better when mom and dad were there cheering her on. Oh, if you want to drive your pastor crazy, then make him wonder how you feel about him. I've resigned churches before. See, I've been in this 40 years, so it's not my first church. I've resigned churches before. People have come up to me after I resigned, bawling, crying, weeping. We're about to shut the church down. We can't even, we don't know if this church can even go on without you. Funny thing about it was, I didn't even know they even liked me. (laughs) They never told me. Don't make your pastor resign. Amen. So he can hear, I love you. Hello? Amen. Amen. If If you want to drive your pastor crazy, make him wonder. Do they approve or disapprove? You know, he presented this, you know, the grace place, or he presented this or that or something else. You know, if you don't drive him crazy, just make him wonder. Do they, do they, do they support this or don't support this? Yeah. Make him wonder. But if you want to stop him from going crazy, become a cheerleader for him. Hey, say amen while he's preaching. I'm going to tell you something. If he's preaching good and you say amen, he'll preach better. If he's preaching lousy, start saying amen, he'll pick it up a little bit. I'll never forget years ago, I was at a fellowship meeting where I was supposed to preach. There was another man who was going to preach and then me. The guy before me preaching was a young guy. I wasn't that old, but I was, had been in ministry for a long time already. And this young kid gets up and he preaches to these preachers. And I mean, he's bumbling and stumbling along and it is terrible. And finally, he stops what he's doing and he said, well, I know I'm not preaching good here today, but he said, it's your fault. He said, I thought I could expect a little bit of inspiration, but there's no inspiration here today. And he sat down. Now, it's my turn to preach. I took the pulpit and I said, you know, when I was young and first starting out in ministry, I said, I depended upon inspiration in order to preach good. He said, but I I said, but I soon discovered that a lot of places I preached weren't very inspirational. So I said this morning, I'm not depending upon inspiration, I'm depending upon preparation. I'll tell you something, I'm not going to stand behind that pulpit with what I am 150% prepared. 
whether one person says amen or nobody says amen, you're going to get a good message. You're going to get a well thought out, well put together, prayed over, prayed through, anointed message, amen, because that's my job. And whether you like it or don't like it, whether you say amen or don't say amen, you're going to get it because I'm going to be prepared. I will not stand anywhere, whether it's my church or where I'm invited to preach, I will not stand and declare the word of God without making sure that I am 100% prepared. That being said, let me tell you that when you say amen, even though it may start out good, it can get great. It might start out great and it can get awesome and incredible and unbelievable. I'm telling you what, if you want a better sermon, amen, say amen. Get involved, amen. Get it, be a part of the service. Amen. Say amen while he's preaching. Take notes while he's preaching. If you don't want to take notes, just draw pictures. He'll think you're taking notes. He'll encourage him. Amen. Yeah, if you can't, you know, if you're not writing notes, you know, if you're not saying amen, at least nod your head. Now, I have, especially in the first service, I have some older folks there, and I get nods all the time in the first service. That's not the nod I'm talking about this morning. If you love him, tell him you love him. Amen. If he's making an impact on your life or in the life of your friends or your kids or your family, let him know about it. Amen. Unless you want to drive him crazy. The fifth thing that you can do to stop your pastor from going crazy, and I need to hurry this morning, that is alienate yourself from divisive people. Alienate yourself from divisive people. And this is one of my stuck records, and I know that it is. You don't have to tell me. I know it is. But until we get it totally unstuck, we'll keep preaching it, okay? So I'm just going to hit it and run. But alienate yourself from divisive people. Proverbs 6 and verse 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. The Lord what? What does God hate? Well, the sixth thing is one that sows discord among brethren. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God can't stand the troublemaker. That's what it says. Romans 16 and 17, avoid those that cause division. And remember this this morning, silence is consent. Silence is consent. If you hang out with people who are always gossiping about or putting down the the God-called leadership of the church, whether it's the lead pastor or one of the associates or whatever, if you don't say anything, If you remain silent, you are just as guilty because silence is consent. My wife's aunt is a deacon, a deacon's wife in Oklahoma. One night after church, one of the ladies of the church asked her if she would take her home, drive her home. She didn't have a ride home. My wife's aunt said, sure, I'd be happy to. So they go out and they get in my wife's aunt's car and they start driving. And almost before they get out of the parking lot, this lady starts criticizing and gossiping about their pastor. My wife's aunt drives just a couple of blocks and this lady doesn't stop. And so my wife's aunt, she just pulls the car over to the side of the road. She puts the car in park. She looks over at at the lady she's taken home from church, and she says, obviously you are not aware that I am president of our pastor's fan club. And I will not tolerate anybody gossiping nor criticizing my pastor in my presence. And so you got two choices here, lady. Well, it gets better in a second service. It builds a little... You got two choices. You can either stop gossiping and bad mouthing our pastor, or you can walk home. Because I will not allow anybody to gossip or criticize my pastor in my presence. The lady changed the conversation. Psalm 105 and 15 says, Do not touch mine anointed, and do my prophet know. Tell you what, God loves his pastors. He loves his prophets. He loves his preachers. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something. God, he, 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 those he loves, he chastises. I think we need to whip our pastor. No, God will do a good job of it. If he needs it, God will give it to him. And he ain't going to use you to do it. He'll do it on his own. 
Amen? Amen. Well, our pastor, I, you know, I don't, I can't, I, I, I just can't respect him. Well, that's fine. Don't respect him, but you better respect, you better respect the position that he holds. Okay, we'll move on. If you want to stop your pastor from going crazy, alienate yourself from divisive people. And the sixth and last thing this morning, if you want to drive your pastor crazy, alleviate financial stress in his life. Now, before I get into this point this morning, I want to clarify something because I know how, I know how church people are. And in case you might think that I am preaching this point right here in order to get a raise, feel free to ask my board members and my former board members. I have not allowed my board to even consider a raise for me in over two years. I'm not bragging about it. I'm just stating a fact. I want you to know the facts. Not saying what I'm about to say because I'm trying to get a raise. I could have a raise right now. I could have had a raise three times, four times. They review my salary every six months, so about four, maybe five times I probably could have had a raise. Ricky said yes. He's there. He's on the board. He knows what I'm talking about. I have wonderful, generous, supportive, loving board members who take very good care of me. And they would do more for me if I would allow it. But that's not the case in most churches. And perhaps that is one of the reasons why eight out of ten pastors quit. The truth is a pastor's job is stressful. I want to clarify this this morning also. I'm not, what I'm about to say, I'm not complaining Belly aching. I'm just stating facts. I'm not, I'm not complaining at all. I'm just, but I'm going to tell you the facts. And the fact is a pastor's job is stressful. Because he carries his own burdens. See, I have my own burdens to care, carry. See, I'm a husband. I have an incredible wife. But I still have a wife, okay? And she has a husband. I'm not perfect. She's not perfect. Hey, we just celebrated 40 years. I, you know, we're doing pretty good, I, I'm, but I'm telling you. We still have to work through issues. Very few now. I, I, when, I, when I put my foot down and started getting the last words at my house, things changed. And those two words are, yes, ma'am. Hey, hey, I carry my own burdens. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pawpaw, I'm a breadwinner, I'm CEO of New Bethel Church. I have my own, have my own uh, burdens to carry. Pastor carries his own burdens as well as the burdens of all his people. See, your burden becomes my burden. See, when you cry, I cry. See, when you're struggling, I'm struggling. See, I'm not just the preacher that shows up here on Sunday and shows up on Wednesday for a class. I'm not just the preacher here, but I'm your pastor. I'm your shepherd. So when you're hurting, I'm hurting. When you're crying, I am crying. When you're struggling, I am struggling. And because the church is filled with people with different ideas and different opinions, because of that stress, Guaranteed. See, you probably don't ever think about this. And again, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you the fact. Did you know that in the very same church, even in our church, we have everything from ultra-liberal to ultra-conservative people in the same church? Did you know that there are people in this church that want us to be contemporary? And there are those that want us to be traditional in the same church. Did you know that every single Sunday when people leave, there are people that tell me, I was freezing in there today. 
And in the same church, in the same service, I saw people doing this. Did you know that in the same church, there are people that want the sound system turned up? Crank it up, man! This isn't the 70s. Come on, get with it. Crank it up, crank it up, crank it up. And in the same church, in the same service, I got people doing this. How many think the pastor might have a little stress? Not complaining, I'm just telling you. So what am I saying? I'm saying because he has his own stress and he has all the stress of the church. Don't add to your pastor's stress by making him have to worry about his personal finances. Did you know the Bible says you ought to take good care of the pastor? Did you know the Bible says that? And you do, so you can say amen, okay? Okay. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 through 14. I'm going to skip down to verse 7 so I can hurry this morning. But he says, what soldier has to pay his own expenses? That would be silly, wouldn't it? Oh, oh Uncle Sam wants you. <laughs> we want you to carry a gun. We want you to carry a backpack. We want you to carry some grenades. And by the way, when you're not out soldiering, we want you to, we want you to pay your own way too. We want you to get another job. Paul said, what soldier has to pay his own expenses? That's silly. What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat of its fruit? Okay, Mr. Farmer, man, I mean, you have, you've tilled the ground and you've planted and you've watered and you've cultivated and you've uh, harvested, but now don't you touch any of that. Don't you touch any of that now. Well, how ridiculous. And he said, what shepherd cares for a flock of sheep, but he's not allowed to drink some of the milk? He said, am I expressing merely a human opinion or does the law say the same? He said, the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. He said, was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one that plows and the one that threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. And so he says, since we have planted spiritual seed among you, are we not entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? And he said, if you've supported others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we've never used this right. We would rather put up with anything so that we're not an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Verse 13, he said, don't you realize that those that work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? Don't you understand those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings? So in the same way, Paul said, the Lord ordered that those that preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. What's he saying? He's saying the people should take care of the finances of the pastor. That's what he's saying. And you do that. So you can say amen. Come on. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 says to give a bonus. Say bonus. Give a bonus to leaders that do a good job and especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now let me clarify something else. I want to be very abundantly clear this morning. FYI, for your information, in my 40 years of full-time ministry, the amount of my pay has never been an issue for me. I've never said yes or no to a congregation based upon the amount of the salary. The amount of my pay has never been an issue for me. The attitude of the church towards my salary has always been and always will be an issue. It's not the amount, it's, it's, how do you, it's the, way you, the attitude of the church towards it. You see, I believe that if the church actually loves their pastor, I believe if the church actually values the pastor's ministry, they will bless him financially as much as the church can afford. Amen. See, I don't ask a church when I'm candidating for a church, I don't ask them how much is this, just, I do ask them what the salary is, but I don't just ask them what the salary is. I want to know what the availability is for that salary. You know, this is your salary, but is that, all, is that what is available? Is that, is, that, is that your value you place upon the man of God? Or is this the best that the church can do? And if it's the best that the church can do, I don't care how small it is, I'll trust God for the rest and I'll take the job if God leads me to do it. Amen. But if their attitude is, you know, we're going to keep you humble and poor. 
If their attitude is, we're going to get as much as we can for as little as we can, then I say, bye-bye. Thank you, but no thank you. Why? Because I'm all about money? No, I'm not all about money. Because I don't want to be blessed? No, I do want to be blessed. And that's the whole issue. And the issue is that if the church has that kind of mentality, then they are not going to have the blessing of God. Amen. Because I believe as, as the church takes care of the men of God, I believe as the, as the church values the ministry of the men of God, as they put that value on it, that's the way God values the church. And so when you bless the men of God, then God blesses the church. Well, that's what I believe anyway. And I've been working on that for about 40 years now, so. Amen. If the musicians and singers could get back in place this morning, I want to finish with this one last little story this morning. This story goes back many years ago now. A lot of years now, because it was back when I was still buying new cars. And that goes back a long way. And I bought me a brand new car, and I brought a pastor's car. You know what a pastor's car is, don't you? At least in the... 70s and 80s and 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, the pastor's car was about three blocks long and shiny. So I bought me the longest, biggest car out there, man, because that's, that's what I saw modeled. That's what other pastors did, and so that's what I did. True story. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm on my way home with my brand new, long, shiny, new pastor's car. We were pastoring in a small town. I had to drive down Main Street in order to get to the parsonage. So I drive down to Main Street in my big, shiny new pastor's car. I park in the driveway of the parsonage. I get out of my car. I walk into the parsonage. I walk into our house. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The phone is ringing. I answer the phone. It's one of my members. Pastor, was that you I saw driving down Main Street in that big fancy new car? Yeah. You see, I also learned growing up in the ministry, at least in the 50s and 60s, that, you know, if the members got a new car, that was great. But if the pastor did, that was different. Hello? And so I began to make excuses. Oh, you know, my old car, you know, it had X amount of miles on it. And I, you know, it was using oil. And, it, and you know, I got to have a dependable car, you know, to get me to the hospital. I started getting, laying out all these excuses for why I bought this new car. And the man on the other end, one of my members, he said, Pastor, he said, you know, the church is doing really good now. The church is growing. And he said, I'm aware that you're doing pretty good financially. And you got this shiny brand new car. But he said, I want to tell you, Pastor, when you leave, we're going to ride you out of here on a donkey. Eh. God bless you. I am not exaggerating this story. As soon as I hung the phone up, the phone rang again. It was another one of my members. Pastor, was that you in that big shiny new car I saw, saw driving down Main Street? Don't you just love little towns? <laughs> By that time, I'm already beat up. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, my old car, you know, I, I started on this string of excuses why I bought a new car. And he, go, oh, he said, oh, no, 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 Pastor, you're misunderstanding me. You're misunderstanding me. I said, now, listen, listen, I've called you to tell you, get back out in your car and you drive it back up and down Main Street, up and down Main Street, and you honk your horn and you flash your lights and let everybody in this town know that we take care, we love, we support, we take care of our pastor. My subject today has been how to drive your pastor crazy. I didn't bring outsiders in to teach my kids, so I'm not bringing outsiders in to teach you how you ought to, te- how you ought to, how you ought to uh, 
treat your pastor. Because I'm going to tell you something. If I can do it with joy, you're going to be benefited. If I can be healthy, you're going to be healthy. If I can be blessed, you're going to be blessed. So let me assure you this morning. Everybody listening now? I'm not even close to crazy. I want to tell you that I love being a pastor. I love. I love being a pastor. I love being your pastor. I don't want to do anything else. I've had a couple of opportunities to do, to be elected to some district job. Now, I'm not saying I would have got it. Probably wouldn't have, but I was nominated. And I said, no, I'm a pastor. I've been blessed for for nearly 40 years now. In fact, can I tell you that I have a little hard time taking off my pastor's hat sometimes. See, our church is growing. I can't, I can't be to everybody what I want to be anymore. And so I got to delegate. Pastor Houston, who sits right here on this second row in the first service, he's a, he, he, oh, he's a blessing. He's the greatest seniors pastor in the world. And see, what I need to do, I need to say, Pastor Houston, you take care of all my seniors so I can do something else. And he does take care of all my seniors, but when the senior goes to the hospital, I He's going. He's the senior's pastor. But my pastor's heart says, I know you can do as good or better than me, Pastor Houston, but I got to go too. And I know that can't continue forever. My wife, said something to me a few months ago that I can't believe came out of her mouth. One day we were talking and she said, Honey, she said, I know your pastor's heart. And she said, But someday, honey, you're going to have to give it up. Someday. Not now, not soon, but someday you're going to have to give it up. And she said, I know going to be a whole lot easier for me she said to lay it down than for you and so she said I just want to tell you right now that when you can no longer be the pastor of a thriving church like New Bethel or Grace Place as it becomes when the time comes when you just know you've got to lay it down she said, once you, once you lay it down. She said, if it doesn't work for you, after trying it, trying to retire, if that doesn't work for you, she said, honey, she said, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you right now, I'm giving you permission. You can find you some little bitty church out here somewhere way off or whatever that nobody else wants, and they'll let you because they can't get anybody else. So by that time, you'll still be able to pastor that church. She said, I want to tell you, I'm going to give you permission to do that. She said, and I want you to come back and see me sometimes. <laughs> I want you to know today, I've pastored some of the greatest people in the world in the last 40 years. I've also pastored handful of skunks. Amen. 
And New Bethel is a great church. And the Grace Place is going to be an even greater church. And I've got a wonderful board. They are generous. They are supportive. They support my vision for this church. I have wonderful and supportive members. And I want you to know that I have not preached this message today because we've got a problem. I haven't preached this today in order to get my way about something. Because we love each other. I am able to preach like this this morning and it be received and accepted. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you today. I want you to know that my wife and I love you with an unconditional love. We care for you. We pray for you. I miss every once in a while, but I try not let a day go by that I don't cover my family in prayer, cover my board in prayer, cover my staff in prayer, and cover you in prayer. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, Father, I thank you that you called us for such a time as this. Father, I thank you that that you called me into the ministry. And God, unlike many pastors who get together and talk about their churches and how bad they are and their board members and this and that, that don't happen with me. I don't join in with that. Frankly, I don't have to because I have a wonderful board and I have wonderful people. Today, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing upon all of my people today. Lord, there are people, Lord, in my congregation that are struggling financially today. There are people in my church today, Lord, that are without jobs, and I pray that you'll provide for them their jobs. Do it in line with their gifts, talents, and abilities. Lord, there are people in, my, in our congregation today, some of my people today, their, their hearts are, are, are aching. Lord, they have broken hearts because they're going through divorce. And I pray that you'll comfort and strengthen and help them today. Lord, there are people in this congregation, Lord, they're their teenagers are rebelling. God, I pray that you'll give them patience and give them wisdom. Lord, there are people in the congregation, Lord, they're, they're struggling with addiction. It might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be pornography, it might be a food addiction. They are struggling with addiction. I pray that they will be set free today in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you today that it's been nearly nine and a half years now, and for nearly nine and a half years, we've had incredible unity. And I thank you for it, and I pray that unity will prevail and continue. God, you indeed are answering my wife and I's prayer that we have been praying now for nearly 20 years, and that is our latter years are greater than our former years. And I pray, Lord, the latter years of this congregation, Lord, will be the greatest years ever. All for the glory of God we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's appreciate our pastor one more time. They deserve it. They're amazing. Thank you so much for being here. If you're a guest with us, please turn in your connection card at our Welcome Center. Have a great afternoon. And if you're not signed up for a connection group, make sure you sign up.
But that wouldn't make you louder in my monitor. 